0: January 2023, Russia's war against Ukraine has now been going on for 11 months. In this context, some of the sharpest analyses on European security has been coming from think tanks in the Baltic countries. Estonia, Latvia and Lithuania are members of the EU and NATO, but they share a border with Russia and they have been showing strong solidarity with Ukraine throughout the war. My guest today is Dr. Kristi Reich. Deputy Director and Head of the Foreign Policy Programme of the International Centre for Defence and Security in Tallinn. Christy is also a board member of TEPSA and co-author of a recent paper on Building European Security against Russia. Hello, Christy.
1: Hello and thank you for having me here.
0: Just recently, on the 10th of January, the EU and NATO published a joint declaration which calls for closer EU-NATO cooperation but it also recognises the value of a stronger and more capable European defence which would be complementary and interoperable with NATO. How do you see the transatlantic relationship? How did European defence look like since the end of the Cold War and what has changed since February 2022?
1: Well, I think um, the war in Ukraine, uh, this uh, stage of the war, has uh, brought more clarity the EU-NATO relationship and uh, the way they are really complementary to each other. Of course, uh, this rhetoric is not uh, new, what we had uh, in the latest EU-NATO declaration. Uh, We have been using the same for many years. Uh, And after 2014 already, after the um, annexation of uh, Crimea and the start of the war in Donbass, Uh, EU and NATO started to make efforts to cooperate more closely. Mm -hmm. But now we have come to the point where um, the need to defend uh, Europe uh, against the Russian threat has really become the number one priority. It is very clearly uh, stated uh, both in the EU and NATO strategic uh, documents. And it is also now very obvious that um, NATO has uh, gone back to its uh, traditional historical role of uh, collective uh, defence with uh, Russia as the primary threat. And then the EU has an important role to play in different ways, in complementary ways to NATO. One of them being um, uh, making a contribution to strengthening European defence capabilities because this has been something that uh, Many European states have not uh, worked on seriously in the past uh, years and uh, decades, and now it seems finally everybody woke up, Um, and uh, I would say NATO is the primary framework for these efforts to to strengthen uh, European defense, but uh, the EU can also contribute uh, with its uh, defense cooperation instruments, and there is much more that the
0: EU can do there. Western military support to Ukraine has been offered in rather small steps. Is this due to a lack of ammunition and equipment of European and American allies? Is this perhaps for strategic reasons or more for the reasons of domestic politics? Why haven't the allies been able to provide uh, Ukraine with more defense against Russian drones and missiles. Uh, Is the West making it at all possible for Ukraine to win this war? As you say, the
1: the military aid has been coming uh, step by step. Uh, It has been constantly strengthened and uh, today we are in a very different situation compared to uh, the end of uh, February last year or the first weeks of uh, war when actually there was quite broad consensus in the West uh, that uh, Ukraine cannot win this war. that Russia is a major power. It is so much more uh, uh, strong militarily that there is no way for, for Ukraine to survive. Um, nevertheless, at that time, even uh, the Baltic States and other like, closest supporters of Ukraine were doing everything we could to, to uh, help mm-hmm. uh, Ukraine and to try to persuade other Western countries to do more. Uh, And then the attitude started to change when actually Russia was not successful in the first weeks and and, uh, Ukraine showed that it is able to defend itself, that it is very committed to defend itself. Unfortunately, uh, the aid has been coming slowly and uh, this has prolonged the war and increased uh, the amount of uh, uh, death and destruction in uh, Ukraine. Uh, But uh, today, we are in a very different situation. And of course, it is also a problem that uh, um, the limits of uh, what Western countries can give in terms of having their own uh, stocks and uh, and, uh, production um, limitations, uh, this is also becoming more of an issue. Um, But um, so far, the limitations have been because of uh, political reasons because of reluctance of the Western countries to escalate uh, the war and some kind of hope. I think that um, maybe, uh, maybe this war can be um, solved uh, without uh, further increasing uh, Western engagement. But I think now the attitude is that we really need to do the maximum to help Ukraine win the war. And it is seen also as possible outcome Mm. that Ukraine can win, but in order to do so it needs to get a lot of uh, support uh,
0: and more heavy weaponry from the West. Well, speaking about escalation, I recently heard a high-level uh, EU official saying that France, Germany and Italy were not providing um, more weapons to Ukraine because of what it would mean in terms of confrontation with Russia. Do you think that this approach is justified? Um, I'm asking also because uh, the Baltics, um, as the frontline countries, should be the first ones to be worried about possible broadening of the war, but they seem to be more resolute uh, in supporting Ukraine than some of the Western European countries. How do you see that? Yes, there are um,
1: differences uh, among European states as to how we see uh, the war, and our own interests in this war, and also our future relationship uh, with Russia. Um, in the Baltic States, we have a very strong understanding that uh, we need to defeat Russia in Ukraine, because that is the best way to make sure that the war does not uh, reach our own countries in future. Um, in Western European countries, uh, the perspective is somewhat uh, different. and. Um, One issue is that um, I think some uh, Western European powers have been um, um, hoping that if they don't get militarily too much engaged, uh, that they have better opportunities to uh, advance a diplomatic solution uh, to the war, which I think is really um, misgrounded uh, perception. Russia is putting all the military capability it can in order to achieve its goal to destroy Ukrainian statehood. And um, so um, before we can get uh, to a diplomatic uh, negotiating table, uh, the realities will be defined on the battlefield. And Russia can be pushed back only by using uh, military force. And Europeans do not uh, improve their ability to uh, be uh, some kind of mediator or peacemaker by uh, limiting their engagement. From the Russian point of view, they actually see the U.S. as as the only uh, serious uh, counterpart for for diplomacy because uh, the U.S. is militarily the strongest uh, counterpart.
0: Christy, a recent U.S. poll shows that a majority of Republicans are now in favor of scaling down support for Ukraine. The Washington Post says that this reflects pessimism amongst Republicans about Ukraine's ability to win the war. How significant is this? What would be Europe's reaction if US support was to wane? Would European members of NATO be able to take on their shoulders the main part of financial and military support to Ukraine?
1: Well, it is clear that
0: the US support
1: is of uh, decisive importance. And uh, without that, Europeans alone would just not be able to offer enough uh, military assistance uh, to Ukraine. Um, At this moment in the near term, uh, I think we can be quite confident that uh, the US uh, support will remain very strong. Uh, But we are at a critical moment now. Um, I think this year will be decisive. And um, it is uh, crucial now to enable Ukraine to Uh, proceed uh, on the battlefield to liberate uh, more of the occupied territories and to also be prepared uh, to counter any new Russian offensive, which is likely to come in the next uh, months. Mm. And this uh, military success will then again influence uh, the willingness of Western countries uh, to continue supporting Ukraine. As you say, there are doubts in some countries that If Ukraine cannot win the war, how long are we going to uh, pour money uh, there? And and, uh, uh, it can go on for many years. So that's why now uh, to give maximum support uh, will also be important for uh, ensuring uh, support to Ukraine in future if there is a prospect of having a positive outcome in the end.
0: Christy, in your paper you write, and I quote, that some nations have underinvested in defense while increasing their dependence on Russian energy and maintaining economic relations with Moscow. This led Russia to underestimate the potential Western response both in 2014 and 2022 and undermined NATO's deterrence as well as the security of Ukraine and other allies. Why did this happen? Why was Russia's war against Georgia in 2008? and war against Ukraine in 2014 not sufficient as an alert?
1: This is a very broad and very important question. There were so many things that went wrong in the European approach uh, to Russia during the post-Cold War era. And I think it all started with very good intentions. Uh, When the Soviet Union collapsed, uh, there was hope that uh, Russia would uh, democratize and uh, integrate with the Western uh, structures and uh, start sharing the same values and norms. And uh, there was a lot of uh, wishful thinking in the West. So when things uh, started to go in the wrong direction already in the 1990s, Mm -hmm. uh, many Western countries were not really willing to admit and uh, wanted to hold on to the belief that, well, eventually Russia will democratize and uh, will give up its imperialist ambitions. And uh, when the war um, between Russia and Georgia happened in 2008, uh, again, uh, many Western countries wanted to somehow isolate this issue and uh, hope that nonetheless it is possible to develop a positive uh, relationship with Russia. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was belief in uh, positive interdependence, um, the idea that uh, by having economic exchange, uh, it is possible to advance uh, stability and security. And uh, then also, I must say that um, the Western positions on um, Russian sphere of influence uh, were quite contradictory and ambiguous. That, of course, uh, in the European security uh, order, um, spheres of influence are not accepted. This is the principle inscribed uh, in the OSCE documents. And nonetheless, um, I think de facto, the Western countries did um, acknowledge that uh, Russia has a privileged role in the post-Soviet space. And uh, the Western countries themselves were not ready to treat uh, uh, all the post-Soviet countries as uh, fully sovereign. They were not uh, clearly kind of denying Russia the right to keep this uh, privileged uh, influence uh, in the post-Soviet region, although uh, the countries such as Ukraine and Georgia and others were making efforts to to reduce
0: their dependence on Russia and wanted to actually orientate orientate, uh, towards Europe. When you said that some EU nations indirectly acknowledged Russia's right to a privileged role in the post-Soviet space, were you referring to the 2008 Bucharest Summit here? Do you think that after the war, countries that have been so far opposed to Ukraine's NATO membership will be more open to it? That
1: is one issue where uh, we still don't have uh, consensus among uh, NATO countries. And um, indeed, uh, the decision in NATO in 2008 was uh, very unhelpful. Uh, It sent uh, the signal to Russia that, NATO is not really interested in uh, seeing Ukraine and Georgia as uh, future members of the alliance. So it kind of gave the green light uh, to Russia that uh, encouraged uh, Russia to move ahead with its vision to reimpose its uh, sphere of influence over these countries. And and, uh, the assessment in Russia was that uh, the West would then not uh, do anything serious to to, uh, counter Uh, the Russian uh, policy. Um, Whether we are in a different situation now, uh, I think as long as the war continues, uh, the issue of uh, Ukraine's potential NATO membership is is something that uh, uh, the Alliance wants to avoid uh, raising too much uh, because it has been so important for NATO to um, make sure that the war does not uh, turn into a NATO-Russia war. But uh, once uh, the war stops um, and we will have to face this question of what kind of security guarantees Ukraine uh, will be offered, uh, then the most uh, straightforward, the easiest uh, response is to admit Ukraine as a NATO member and include it in the NATO deterrence uh, policy. That would be the best way to make sure that Russia will not Attack again because NATO deterrence so far has worked
0: very successfully. Christy, the 2014 war in eastern Ukraine was partly de escalated after the so called Minsk agreements. Your paper mentions that these agreements were interpreted in contradictory ways and Russia tried to turn them into a tool to break Ukraine's sovereignty. Can you elaborate what was wrong with the Minsk agreements and with their implementation? Well,
1: maybe to start from a more positive aspect. Of course, in 2014, um, uh, the Ukrainian uh, defense uh, capability was not in the shape where it is today. And um, what the Minsk agreements uh, did, uh, they helped to stabilize uh, the situation on the front line and allowed Ukraine to have time Uh, to uh, build up uh, its uh, defense capability. But uh, then the way um, France and Germany were approaching um, the Minsk agreements, um, they were kind of uh, not clearly um, seeing that uh, Russia was not uh, involved in good faith, that uh, Russia did not really start implementing the agreements. And uh, the Russian aim was uh, to use the Minsk agreements in order to kind of um, solidify uh, the Russian Mm -hmm. presence in the Donbas region, and then to turn uh, Donbas um, into uh, the main instrument uh, for uh, Russian influence over Ukraine. Uh, by getting a veto power uh, to, to the regions uh, in Donbas and uh, having Russian control over the regions, it would have led to a de facto Russian veto power over Ukraine's decisions. Uh, and uh, indeed there were different interpretations uh, of the Minsk agreements. And uh, what was very unfortunate uh, was that um, uh, Ukraine was under pressure uh, from uh, European countries mm. Uh, to try to make uh, some concessions in order to move ahead with the implementation, although it did not uh, look like uh, the Minsk agreements could lead to a really a viable uh, solution to
0: the conflict. Christy, you underline that Ukraine's the integration into the EU uh, is important also from the security point of view. What do you see as a realistic um, timeline for opening accession negotiations with Ukraine?
1: I think it is uh, very important to keep this EU uh, enlargement process as a credible one mm-hmm. and uh, to keep it as a dynamic process. Because the Ukrainians are very seriously making every effort uh, to move ahead. And the next uh, step indeed is the launch of the accession negotiations. Um, so in order to keep Ukraine motivated Uh, to continue with the European path and with the reforms that are needed. Uh, There has to be a constant movement ahead and a very clear commitment from the EU side. Mm. And that's where I'm a little bit concerned that uh, some countries, uh, member states in the EU, tend to think that it is going to be a decades-long process anyway, so let's not uh, hurry with moving forward today. I agree that it will be a long process, and... uh, Ukraine has to meet uh, the conditions, membership criteria. There should be no concessions there. But it is in the EU's interest to do everything it can to support Ukraine on this path and to mm. keep moving on and develop a, a kind of step-by-step uh, approach. Uh, because um, that is the way to make sure that Ukraine develops as a democratic country and, and uh, stays with its European orientation, and uh, that's also then the way to have uh, lasting security in Europe uh, by integrating Ukraine to the European Union. Mm
0: -hmm. Would you say that Ukraine's post-war reconstruction should be done within this enlargement framework?
1: Definitely, yes. Um, The reconstruction effort, of course, will be massive, Um, and uh, it is in the interest of Ukraine, it is in the interest of the EU, to very clearly con- connect uh, the reconstruction efforts uh, to the implementation of uh, EU membership criteria. Thank you,
0: Christy. Um Considering Russia's imperial aspirations, which have been so clearly revealed uh, during the ongoing war, do you see a prospect of restoring normal relations with Russia in the horizon of five to 10 years? Um, can we speak of a significant group of Russian Liberals who see Russia as a state rather than an empire? Well, Russia has been an empire for centuries.
1: And even uh, after the collapse of the Soviet Union, it did not actually abandon its uh, imperialistic attitude to neighboring countries. Whether it will happen in future, Uh, I don't want to completely exclude uh, the possibility. I want to be hopeful that uh, Russia's defeat in Ukraine might actually launch uh, a deep rethinking in Russia. Uh, It is not very rational in today's world uh, for a country to try to hold on to an empire and impose uh, neighboring countries to be part of its sphere of influence. Uh, It is not serving Russia well. But uh, whether this change will happen anytime soon, uh, I am not optimistic. I think uh, the EU and NATO need to plan their uh, Russia policy uh, based on the assumption that for many years to come, Russia will remain authoritarian and it will also um, continue to hold on to its uh, imperialistic uh, view on neighboring countries, which means also that uh, Uh, As long as this is the case, uh, we cannot go back to some kind of normal uh, relations. Uh, The relationship will be confrontational. And uh, what is the position of the democratic Russian opposition? Well, unfortunately, the opposition forces are small and very fragmented. Uh, They are not uh, in a position to um, become uh, the next uh, leaders of Russia when the time of uh, Putin is is over one day. I think it's much more likely that the next uh, leader uh, will come from the same uh, circle and will represent uh, a similar worldview as uh, we see now uh, Russia so so brutally following in, in Ukraine.
0: My last question would be what change do you hope to see in the foreign and security policies of the EU and of its member states as a lesson from the war in Ukraine? There
1: are huge changes underway already. So it is important to then uh, be consistent in in, uh, uh, implementing them. One is uh, for the EU to really take a role in uh, stabilizing uh, Central and Eastern Europe, including uh, Ukraine, Moldova and beyond, um, to be committed in the region and to very clearly deny Russia uh, the right to impose its sphere of influence on any country. Um, Then another important point is how we see economic uh, interdependency. It is a huge paradigm shift that is happening in the post-Cold War era, uh, there was this um, belief in the West uh, that uh, by expanding trade and economic globalization, you can also promote uh, liberal values and, uh, and uh, make the world uh, safer. This has not worked that way. And uh, we have learned uh, not only with the war in Ukraine, but also during COVID, uh, that uh, economic dependence on major authoritarian powers is actually undermining our own security, so we need to rethink uh, the way we see economic relations with uh, authoritarian powers. And then a final point is that in order for Europe to really be um, a credible um, security actor in future, it must uh, strengthen its hard power capabilities. And this is something that uh, yes. European countries were not taking seriously for many years. They did not expect a major war to return to the European continent. Unfortunately, now it has returned and uh, we have to draw the consequences from that.
0: Well, thank you very much, Christy. I can only recommend your paper to our viewers. And thank you all for watching. We'll be back for further episodes of your talk This
1: podcast is co-funded by the European Union. The European Commission's support for the production of this podcast does not constitute an endorsement of the contents, which reflects the views only of the authors, and the Commission cannot be held responsible for any use which may be made of the information contained therein.